Good morning to each one, and greetings in Jesus' name. It's a beautiful summer day to be together in God's house and worship the Lord together. This morning for the message, I want to bring a message on humility, something I need in my life, and it's something that the Bible teaches that we all need as Christians. Titled the message this morning, Clothed with Humility. If I were to ask you this morning, are you an humble person? Could you raise your hand to that? All right, you passed the test. The Bible tells us that God greatly values humility. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine, eye, hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. This passage tells us that God looks favorably on those who are humble and tremble at his word. This means that he sees humility as a positive character trait and something that he wants to see in his people. Humility is one of the most important quality traits that we all need to have. It's so important that God himself would want it from us. Micah 6.8 tells us, He hath sh showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Humility is a character trait that takes a lot of time and effort to develop. The effort in developing it in ourselves, however, won't go unrewarded. As I said before, humility is very important to God. Through it, we recognize our very small standing in comparison to God. We realize our unrighteousness in comparison to His righteousness, our uncleanness in comparison to His holiness. Without humility, we can never repent of our sin and turn to God. Being humble means being contrite in spirit and having reverence for God. Having reverence for God's Word, it's an attitude of mind that enables us to receive God's grace. <clears throat> Turn with me to 1 Peter 5 for our text verses, verses 5 and 6. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. titled the message, Clothed with Humility, and we find that in verse 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So if we back up to the beginning of the chapter, Peter is writing, he was an eyewitness to the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. 
Also here in the first verses, Peter is admonishing the elders, the leaders. He is instructing them how they are to conduct themselves as they lead, the role of an overseer, and how he is to oversee the flock. Elder, an elder and a pastor are interchangeable terms in the New Testament. An elder is not to serve under compulsion. We see that here. Not by constraint. He is not to feel constrained to serve in this position. Peter says to do it because you're called and to do it willingly. Next, Peter addresses the elder's motive. He says, don't do it for the money. An elder must not be driven by money. Money is not to be the focal point. His focus must be on the body of Christ and serving the Lord. We also see he's not to be domineering or controlling. An elder is a servant, not a master. Never a, dic never a dictator of how others ought to live. They are to teach, exhort, encourage, and pray. But they are not to dictate. They are not to be controlling. They are to be examples to the flock. Leaders in the church are to point people to Jesus. We are to point people to his word. You listen for God. You learn to hear his voice. What is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through the word of God? I believe that people struggle to mature where you have controlling leadership. They don't grow up in their faith because they're taught to rely on humans rather to rely on God. Peter says elders are not to be domineering. A leader is not to be controlling. Then in verse 4, we have a promise that we can hang on to. It says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. It says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear. And the chief shepherd is going to appear. Jesus is coming back. I like this title, Chief Shepherd. It reminds me that I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. We are under-shepherds. Occasionally you'll hear someone say, or they will refer to a congregation as so-and-so's church. The church belongs to Jesus, the chief shepherd, who purchased it with his blood. He is coming back, and he will reward those who have walked faithfully. Now verses 5 and 6 are the ones I want to get to. It talks about those who are functioning under the leaders in the church. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. He begins by saying here in verse 5, Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Peter just instructed the elders to not be heavy-handed with these people. You are to follow the example of Christ. In Mark 10, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This verse tells us that Jesus did not come to be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. 
This shows us the attitude of humility that Jesus had. He was not interested in being served, but in serving others. Also in verse 5, it says, To be clothed. This word denotes a close knit, or a close knitted garment, an outer wrapper worn by servants. And this is the only place in the New Testament where we have this rendering of this word. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he first took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and it was something that he put on. He was now clothed and ready to serve. Let's turn to those verses. John chapter 13. John 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. That's not the verse I want. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So this is an example that is given to church leaders the body of Christ is to be served. And once we as leaders understand that role, now we can safely say to the body of Christ, be subject to the leaders. And in the Greek words, be subject means to defer to the authority of another. It speaks of a spirit of cooperation. It speaks of the abstinence, abstinence excuse me, absence of a critical attitude. It speaks of people who aren't quarrelsome, but of those who want to participate and cooperate with the ministry the leaders have been given. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility toward one another. And here's why. God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. He says you have to put on humility. And the reason you have to put it on is because it isn't there naturally. My flesh doesn't want to humble itself. What to do? The flesh doesn't want to be told anything. God's word tells me, put on humility and clothe yourself in humility because God opposes those who are proud. It's the proud man who says, who are you to tell me what to do? And if someone does admonish me, I'm going to find all of their faults and say, what about you? That's pride. 
Pride is rebellion against God. Humility allows people to speak into my life. Sometimes things are hard to hear when someone admonishes me, but the Lord tells me to put on humility. I need to learn to listen because some of these things can be life-saving. Be clothed with humility. I well remember a time that I received admonition from a brother right here in the center aisle of Bank Church some years ago. And it was hard at the time. I, I was proud. But I look back on that experience and realize that God used that brother to help shape my life. I'm back in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. See, pride wants to exalt itself. It's pride telling all about me, making myself exalted. Here God's word tells us we are to humble ourselves so that God will exalt us when? In due time. This due time is a proper time. It's at a proper time God will exalt you. But in the meantime, stay teachable. Stay open to correction even when it is hard to hear. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Here Jesus teaches about humility. Luke 14, start at verse 7. 7 to 14. And he put forth a parable to those who were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, and when he hath bade thee, and when he, he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou, have, shalt thou have worshipped in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Then saith he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or, or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. But when they call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So pride is dependence on and confidence in myself. It always seeks to take the credit. Humility is dependence on, on and confidence in God. It only seeks to give God the credit. The definition of humility in the Webster Dictionary says the state of being humble, freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality or state of being humble. Proverbs 11.2 says when pride comes, then comes shame, 
but with the humble is wisdom. Matthew 16, 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, that's humility, and take up his cross and follow me. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. There's humility again. But unto him which died for them and rose again. Habakkuk 2, 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just, that's the humble, shall live by his faith. Psalm 10, 4. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. In the book of Romans, Paul wrote that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Romans 12, 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The Apostle Paul is one of the men from whom we can learn humility. He gives us a list of credentials in Philippians. But then he does what can only be done through humility in verse 7. Let's turn to Philippians 3, 4 to 6. Philippians 3, verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Then verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Another example we have that we can learn humility from in the Bible is through David. Humility to remember God's goodness. David was known, was famously known for being the Old Testament giant slayer. He is one of the men of God from whom we can learn humility. He came from obscurity, rose up to defeat a terror enemy named Goliath. And eventually sat on the throne as Israel's king. While pondering God's creation, he remembers. In Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, he says, when, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is, mine, excuse me, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Another example we have is Joseph. Humility through painful experiences. Joseph is Jacob's son, and he's well known for two things. The special coat his father gave him, and his leadership over e Egypt as its administrator. Between these two things is a slew of painful experiences. Through it all, however, he grew in humility, 
recognizing God's hand in everything. He told his brothers. This is in Genesis 50, verse 20. It says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Pride is the lack of sound judgment about ourselves. Humility is simply aligning ourselves with reality. Bypassing our natural propensity to replace God with ourselves and withdrawing from thinking I am capable of ranking myself in comparison to others. Let's go to Matthew 18 next. First four verses. The disciples come to Jesus with a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Matthew 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So here we have the disciples that come to Jesus with this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're asking this question because it's, it's a hot topic to the disciples. They love to talk about this. They were trying to bring this thing of greatness and success into the kingdom of God. So they asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? They were probably thinking he was going to point to one of them. Their understanding of greatness is, is derived from the world. Notice what Jesus does. He calls this little child to him. He then takes this small child and sets him in the midst of them. And look what he says. There's two keys here I want to point out. The first one is in verse 3. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted. Unless you change. This word converted means a turning, a change to turn one's whole life, to turn from your conduct, your attitude, your way of thinking. See, Jesus is addressing their thought process, how they think, how they perceive the kingdom of God as it relates to greatness. Jesus says, wait a minute. Unless you change your thinking, you won't enter the kingdom. So what is, is it about their thinking that would keep them out of the kingdom of God? Their thinking is me-centered. It's all about themselves and what I can do. It's not about what I can be. It, it is about what I can be. Entering the kingdom of God is all about who Jesus is and what he did. It's not about you. So here Jesus is addressing the way they're thinking about this. So the first key is that, that this humble attitude is necessary for us in opening our heart to the kingdom of God. 
Humility is not thinking about yourself at all. It is you thinking about other people, thinking about the needs and concerns for others above your own. The kingdom of this world says it's about self-esteem. You need to think well of yourself. If we can build people's self-esteem, they will be good human beings. The kingdom of God says we need to see ourselves properly with true and genuine understanding that we are bankrupt before God. And when we come to that realization, not only is the kingdom of heaven open to you, it will also unlock other doors along the way. As long as we keep and maintain that attitude of humility before the Lord, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. The second key I see here is in verse 4. Here Jesus directly comes out and answers their question. I thought that was interesting. As I study Scripture, a lot of, a lot of times Jesus won't come out and directly answer a question. But here, he comes out and gives a very direct answer. The question again was, who, was the greatest, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he brings this little child and puts the child in the midst of them and says, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And back in their day, a child had no rights under the law. And the disciples knew that. This child was without rights. Yes, the parents did love the child and take care of the child. From a legal standpoint, there were no rights for this child. So Jesus takes this child who has no rights and places him right in the midst of these men. And here is the picture I want to show you of greatness in the kingdom of God. So he uses this child as a picture. So what do we see in this child? This child has no way to demand their way. Their voice probably isn't even heard. But there's something about this child that Jesus says is great. You know, Jesus set aside his rights, too. Even Jesus, in taking this child and setting the child in their midst, is an act of humility on his part. If you want a perfect example of greatness and humility in the kingdom of God, look at Jesus. He is the ultimate example of greatness. But his humility is so rooted in his being that he takes a child who is a lesser example when he could have said, just keep your eyes on me, if you want to see what greatness looks like in the kingdom, follow me. The disciples didn't have a concept at this time, but they did learn it. And they eventually did come to a place of understanding. There is no greater expression of humility and greatness and how those two can be merged together in the kingdom other than Jesus Christ himself. So the greater example of humility the Bible gives to us is the Lord Jesus himself. He, the only begotten Son of God, came down to earth 
and took on the lowest form ever, that of a servant. Let's turn to Philippians 2. Verses 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is the example to understanding this key to the kingdom of God that you and I are born into as a newborn spiritual child. And it is characterized by faith and humility. Personal greatness in the kingdom of God is not defined by all the things that you have. Personal greatness is often defined as by what you don't have. What you have been willing to let go of and surrender before the Lord and give up for others. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. <clears throat> and in humility, he laid down his rights. His conveniences, his comfort. He gave those things up. The kingdom of God is not me-centered. It is others-centered. It is thinking about other people. And that is what Jesus did. That is what he taught you and I to do. Move beyond the me-centered world and serve others, even to the point of laying down your life. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor here in this verse means destitute. Destitute doesn't mean that you have barely enough to get by. Destitute means I have nothing. The word spirit speaks of the essence of a man. Now put that together and you see what Jesus is saying. is blessed are those who are destitute of themselves, empty of self. And that is not the world's view of success. He says, blessed are those who literally have nothing in themselves, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us here in Matthew 18, Unless you change and become as little children, you shall not enter the, into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The kind of humility who understands who I really am. Matthew 23 verse 12 says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Next, turn with me to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10.
James 4, 1 to 10. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye daughters and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace. This verse tells us that God is opposed to those who are proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. This means that humility is something that God values and is something that he is looking for in his people. So humility is having a low opinion of ourselves in comparison to God and considering others to be more important than ourselves. It's an attitude of mind that enables us to receive God's grace. When we are humble, it pleases God and he blesses us. God hates pride. Proverbs 6 says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the first one is a proud look. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We have the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So if we want humility... We need to first start by having a right perspective of God. When we see how great and holy He is, it will help us to put our own lives into perspective. We need to remember that we are not God and we are not in control.
We're finite beings who are completely dependent on Him. Secondly, we need to have a right perspective of ourselves. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. We are sinners who are in need of His grace. We are not perfect and we never will be. But God loves us anyway. Every one of us has sinned against God and we could never earn our way to Him. But through Jesus we can have forgiveness and eternal life. Thirdly, we need to develop a servant's heart. We need to be willing to serve others without expecting anything in return. We need to do it because we love and because we want to please God. When we have a servant's heart, it will help us to be more humble. Another thing we can do is focus on others and not ourselves. Think about others' needs and how we can help them. When we do this, it will help us be more humble. Another thing I believe we need is patience. We need to give others the benefit of the doubt and not be so quick to judge. We also should be quick to forgive when others wrong us. When we are patient with others, it will help us to be more humble. Closing a quote by C.S. Lewis says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Shall we have a song?